When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My fellow Canadians, for too long we have been pushed around and ridiculed. Yesterday was supposed to be a day of appreciation and understanding. Instead, Canada Appreciation Day was mocked worldwide. <laughs> Nobody takes us Canadians seriously. It's like the world doesn't respect Canada at all, eh? That's right. And I think it's time for Canada to show the world just how bad things would be without it. Together we can send a message. It's time for Canada to strike. Did you say strike? Yes! Every Canadian join me! Join together! Canada on strike! Canada on strike! Canada! 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 Canada on strike! Canada says no more! No more neglect! We want respect! That's what we're striking for! All you bureaucrats and corporate cats can all just take a hike! It's Canada on strike! Canada on strike! From Vancouver to St. John's We raise our middle fingers for you all to sail upon And with our fingers up your ass you won't be very psyched It's Canada on strike And we will not bow or budge Our resolve is strong We even took three hours to rehearse this striking song Canada on strike No matter where you are If you are Canadian then you've got to do your part March out of the halls That's right, suck my Canadian balls It's Canada on strike! It's Canada! Canada! On strike! Hi, this is Mike Levine from Triumph, and you're listening to the Hook Rocks podcast with my great buddy Jay Scott. Everybody, what's going on? What's happening? It is Jay Scott. Welcome to another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well, staying safe, and doing what you need to do. Summer is almost here. We got another few weeks, and then it's in full swing. Although the official start of summer for most people here is the Memorial Day weekend. So hope everyone has a great weekend, uh, full of barbecues, full of friends. It's it's been a long time since. A lot of us been able to do that and, and get together with people, and hopefully people are feeling safe and ready to get back to whatever normal will be, but uh, I know I'm looking forward to it as well. Hope everybody else is. Once again, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Check out their podcast, their fellow music podcast that uh, I'm so proud to be part of their family, whether it's Carmen of Peace or Vinnie Apice. Their podcast, which is great, Cobras and Fire. You've got Mistress Carrie out there in Boston, who was just on the show. And, of course, 
my friends in Shout Out Loudcast, Tom and Zeus. So check out those podcasts and others at PantheonPodcast.com. You can follow them on Twitter at Pantheon Pods as well. You can follow The Hook Rocks on Twitter at The Hook Rocks. Search us on Facebook um, at The Hook Rocks as well. And also subscribe and follow to our podcast wherever you listen, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, wherever, Stitcher, Pandora, we're on every platform, so give us a subscribe, a subscription or follow us or whatever you call it, and also write us a review. So um, let us know what you think. Nonetheless, we are excited for our new guest, one of my favorite newer bands. They've been around for a bit here, and they just released a new album this past early part of spring, late winter, I want to say. It's called Hidden Gems. The band is the Blue Stones. They're from Canada. And I'd like to welcome in drummer Justin Tessier. What's going on? How are you? Hey, dude. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to learn more about you guys and hear about you know how the album was put together and what your plans are here. I know Canada's kind of a month or two behind us, so we'll get into that. But we always start the same way every time we have a new first-time guest on the podcast, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Wow. Uh, great question. I, I, don't, I don't really know if it was one... It's, that's a that's a good question. I mean, there's when I decided to play drums. Um, you know, I was listening to like I was 12 years old, so I was listening to bands like Blink 182, um, Green Day. Uh, those were kind of like this. That's the sort of music that I was listening to when I started getting into drums and starting get, to get into music seriously. Um, shortly after that went right into kind of like a grunge phase and into like a metal phase. Um, so it was really into, uh, Nirvana, um, smashing pumpkins. And then Metallica was a big band for me for a while. Um, so I don't know if it was particularly one event, but that was just kind of the music that was sort of popular. Some of my friends were listening to and that I was really into and, and started learning drums on was um was those bands what was it about the drums that drew you into that instrument you know because certain people play guitar for certain reasons certain people sing because of inspiration what was it for you with the drums i think a lot of it was just the energy um you know there's always it's always like the drummer is such like a powerhouse in uh in a concert and i feel like no disrespect to vocalists or guitarists or bassist, but the movements of that are so like, there's so much finesse to like guitar playing that in order to really be like exciting on stage, you kind of have to do a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with playing guitar. <laughs> there's a lot of boring, but good guitarists who can just kind of like stand still and shred. But, um, you know, visually it's not as exciting as a crazy drummer on a drum set, you know, think of like the classics like Bonham or Keith Moon those guys are just going nuts playing their instrument. Um, I think that sort of energy just kind of drew me in. And everything does start with the drums, right? I mean, that is the base of every song. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. if, if, if the drumming isn't good, the song typically is not going to be good. Yeah. I mean, when you, you think about like the way songs are recorded, it's always drums first. Um, even if, even if there are songs that don't necessarily start with um, a guitar lick, I, I think that at the end of the day, the, the drums are, are what kind of bring that song to life. It, not necessarily songs aren't... If you write a drum beat, you're not necessarily writing a song per se, but I think that any drum beat can kind of just totally transform uh, a song and there's so many, one thing that I've kind of been interested in lately, there's a lot of guys on YouTube who are doing like a single song covered by, you know, in the spirit of different drummers. And it's pretty amazing how you can take a simple song and a guy will start playing it. Like, here's how Ringo would have played this song. And then here's how Meg White would have played this song. Here's how Lars Ulrich would have played this song. 
um, and how much that just transforms a song that everyone knows. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the, the drum style um, and whatever, you know, however a drummer chooses to approach a song can really like do a huge, it can really lend a huge sort of influence uh, to the final, the final song. Was there any particular drummer that you first heard, you know, that really wanted you, you wanted to be like, you wanted to emulate? Yeah, I guess for me, that would be um, Jimmy Chamberlain from Smashing Pumpkins. He just had such a cool style um, and was just like, it was, he was so good and so clean. And then his performance was so effortless. Um that I thought like, that's kind of the drummer that I would want to be. And again, like going back to the drummers of bands that I was listening to when I started learning drums, Travis Barker is obviously an amazing drummer, but I don't know. He was, he was kind of too over the top for me. Um, same kind of, same kind of thing with Dave Grohl and Nirvana, um, and Lars, but I thought Jimmy Chamberlain was just like, so he was almost like a vampire on the, on the kit. Like he just had such an effortless style. I thought was so cool. Did you ever go back and to listen to some of the legacy drummers that, you know, from the sixties and seventies and even the eighties that, you know, had a style that you liked? For sure. Yeah. No, I, so right kind of after my grunge and like early metal phase, I got into sixties and seventies music hard. I kind of just like slowly went backwards in time. Um, and so around, you know, like my freshman or, sophomore year in high school um really got into zeppelin and uh you know bonham ever since then was a huge influence on me so uh, i love that style and obviously he's a super energetic guy too um but yeah no uh, definitely bonham is always my number one and i don't even care if that's cliche because it's just true well, I mean, I mean, he did change drumming. I mean, you know, we hear a lot about guitar players changing music, but when you hear the physical pounding that he did on the drums, I mean, no one hit drums like that prior to him. And his pocket was just absolutely incredible. And he was also very versatile. I don't think that's something that people don't really give him credit for. Like when you listen to Fool in the Rain compared to Rock and Roll and compared to some of the other songs, I mean, there's a difference in, in what he could do. And it was just you know, very organic and natural at it too, as well. For sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. As far as music goes, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Blink-182 as being an early influence and obviously the grunge era. Where did your taste in music and your influence music go? Um, was it driven by the drums and who was drumming or was it just driven by what you liked? No, you know what? It, probably. Yeah. Probably more of what I liked. Um, I can't really think of too many bands that I listen to where I'm like, Oh, the drummer is by far the best and musician and, you know, drives the reason why I listen to the music. Um, honestly, if there was one single element, it would have to be like the, like a riff. I'm kind of a riff rock guy. Um, and that like rage against the machine was another big one for me growing up and that sort of style. Um, and I mean, Brad Wilk's a good drummer, but, it, that was more of like Tom Morello driving that ship for me of why I loved that music so much. Um, so, so I think I'm definitely more of a riff guy, funny enough. Well, that's also evident too in the music that you guys have, you know, and kind of segue into that, you know, especially with the new album hidden gems, it's got a very blues kind of funky feel to it, um, which is really cool. And how did that all come about? How did those influences reach to where you're at in, in, in your music? Totally. Um, I mean, it, it's tough because we always say like a, a lot of the influences on our music, it, it, they're pretty vast. Um, and we kind of, you know, grew up in an era where music was so accessible. You didn't really have to like, you weren't gambling on music um, because we just, <laughs> to be honest, really weren't paying for it when we were growing up. Um, so we kind of were exposed to a lot of different kinds of music and think the whole like Napster and now Spotify, especially, um, really removed a lot of the barriers to checking out different kinds of music. And before I think music genres were very tribal 
but now it's kind of becoming more like genres of movies. I mean, like you would, you rarely run into people who say like, I only watch dramas and comedies are crap. And how could you, you're so stupid if you listen or you watch comedy movies, like people watch dramas, people watch action, people watch cult films and comedies and horror movies. It's not really exclusive. And I think music is coming to that point. Um, so this is all just a long way of saying we have a ton of influences and I think they all just kind of come out. Um, they just sort of shine through naturally through the lens of our creativity. Um, and so riff rock was just given that we were only two people that was just a kind of, that was part of the music that we knew we could write with only two of us and, and make it work, especially in a live setting. Um, and so sometimes I, especially on this album, we, we drift away from that a couple of, uh, in a couple of instances. Um, and that's just different influences coming through, but yeah, the whole like blues rock sort of stuff is just kind of a blueprint that existed that we knew we could use as a two person band. And so sometimes that comes through. Whenever someone thinks of a two-person band, obviously the first two bands that come about are the White Stripes, the Black Keys, but there's also quite a few. I mean, there's also fellow Canadian band Crownlands, which I'm a huge fan of as well, um, and also the Cold Stairs that are are from Indiana, who um, have a great bottom end sound to their music for for two piece. But a lot of people feel that there's limitations to having. Two, only two members in a band. How do you guys overcome that? Or do you not see that as a challenge? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's definitely a blessing and a curse, um, at different times. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, we, and we, honestly, the name of the band, we just automatically get sucked into the white stripes and the black keys. Um, and that was like totally unintentional. We, we were not trying to ride any kind of wave. The name, actually, we don't even have a good story for the name. It's just like my ex-girlfriend suggested it, and I thought it was fine. Um, <laughs> don't even... We, 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 we weren't even trying to like draw those comparisons, but obviously they're there. Um, the... Being in a two-person band can be challenging on stage, for sure, um, because there's... Well, one thing you have less to fall back on if anything goes wrong. Like we've had a couple of shows where, you know, there's technical difficulties with the guitar because anytime you have to plug something into power, you're going to have technical difficulties. And, um, if that goes out, it's pretty much drum solo time and I'm not too into that. So I start riffing on my comedy, my stand up comedy, basically. Um, so that's one thing that can kind of be a challenge is, is, having less people to fall back on. But at the same time, having fewer people makes things easier from logistics standpoint. And from a creative standpoint, there's, there's less egos involved. Um, so there's definitely, there's definitely benefits and drawbacks, but I think we tend to see it more as, um, from the benefit side, we've been asked before, would you consider bringing other people into the band? And it's, not necessarily opposed to it, but I, I don't think it's something that we're looking to do right now. Um, cause I think it would just be a lot more to deal with. Well, right now it's a 50 50 in terms of collaboration, right? I mean, it's only you, it's only the, the two of you where, you know, mm -hmm. you bring in another member or two, now you have three members or four members and everybody, you know, once their say or once they're part in a song or once the song to sound like this. So yes, it does add on elements of frustration and also, you know, people getting frustrated at the process when it's just the two of you, it's kind of simple, right? It's, it's, it's less headache. Yeah, totally. The only, the only thing is when there is a disagreement, <laughs> it's 50, 50. Um, so, I mean, it kind of forces us to, to come to a resolution whenever that does happen. It's pretty rare, but, um, yeah, in the creative process, it is just like a 50, 50 split. If it's a yes and a no. Um, so sometimes it's nice to have that third person as a tiebreaker, right? Yeah. Right. It's, or not, then you guys start drawing straws and that's no fun when there's only two people, but, um, exactly. <laughs> the, you meant we, we talked briefly moments ago about 
cross genres and people starting to listen to different genres as people's tastes evolve. Music fans, though, are very tribal, and especially the old guard of music fans. Um, you know, they don't they don't like anybody coming in from other genres saying they're making rock records. They're very um, hard edge in terms of what's rock, what's hard rock, what's metal, and uh, rock fans especially don't like when artists kind of go outside of, of a box. They want to keep them inside that box. They want them to stay the same and not change. I, although, you know, when I see with my son or what I see with my son, he's 16, his friends like a, a, a cross all types of music, all, all types of, of, of genres, whether it's rap and hip hop, hard rock, pop music. Do you think that that evolution of people's music taste is because of the ease of getting different types of music at your fingertips. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I mean, I, I just from totally non-scientific or anything, but just from kind of taking the, t- the cultural temperature, I guess, um, the more, you usually see that openness with the younger, the younger generations who are more familiar with those kind of streaming tools and who have grown up with them. And so in their formative years, they've always had that access to different kinds of music. Um, and I think the, the more that those tools are adopted, the, the more open everyone is again, because you have that accessibility. You don't have to like, risk 20 to 25 bucks on an album of a genre that you're not familiar with to learn that you don't like it. Um, it's just, you know, however fast you can search for that artist or even just are delivered suggestions to you by an algorithm, um, to check stuff out. It's, it's just way easier to access. Um, and I think that again, making the movie comparison, there's there's subgenres within genres and i think that if you were a rock fan and you say you know didn't like country music or you didn't like hip hop my argument would be you haven't found your subgenre yet and my personal experience with both of those genres was that growing up i didn't like i thought i i hated country and i thought i hated hip hop when I started digging into it and and learning more about those communities, it was really just like, I didn't like pop country and I didn't like pop hip hop or, you know, hip hop is what they call it. Um, I liked more of the artistic and underground sort of stuff. Um, Like I'm more of an outlaw country fan. I started to learn. Um, And I start to get into more of like the deeper side of more underground and artistic side of hip hop. Um, and so I think that again, with Spotify, the more that you start to dig into those genres and figure out what you do like, the more that you're going to get suggestions to consume different artists in that, in those genres, um, that fit your taste. And so you just, it just takes a little bit of work, but you'll eventually get there just in the same way that it'd be silly for someone to say they didn't like action movies at all. Well, we could be talking about James Bond. We could be take talking about Fast and the Furious, those are both action movies, but they're completely different experiences. Um, I, I think those same divisions exist in music genres, and you just have to find out what you like. Yeah, I think if, if you look at the younger generation, it is almost part of their DNA now. And that is, you know, the ease of finding things, right? I mean, and, and, and also, you know, not just the ease of finding things and having access to them, but then the willingness to want to listen. You know, I mean, we ha- everything is at our fingertips at a device, whether it's music or whether it's movies. We have you can have Netflix on your phones, you can have any streaming service on your phone. So it takes nothing to really just you know your friends listening to this song. Uh, what is that artist like? And you go check it out. Whereas years before, there were, the options always existed, but there was more of a risk in number one money. You know, I mean, if you, if you had a paper out and you only had, you know, at the end of the day, a certain amount of money to spend on music, you would typically only go buy the music that you liked 
or maybe that your friends like that you knew the risk was low because like you said, you didn't want to buy the record and come home and not, and be disappointed with it. And it's also the risk of wasting your time too. That's less and less because if you don't like something within the first minute, typically you turn it off now. Whereas before you invested the money, now you've invested the time to go to the record store and now you're, 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 there's kind of an investment in it, right? So yeah. it's a lot different experience, you know, years ago versus now. And I think that's why there's such a, an appreciation for all forms of genres, especially in the younger generation. Yeah. And so it's almost like the, you know, if you think about, if you think about it as a T, like as, a, as the letter T, the, the cross of that has definitely broadened, but I think the vertical part of that has, isn't as deep as it is before. Cause like you said, if you're not into something in the first minute, you know, you're switching, you're, you're pressing skip, you're going to a new playlist, you're checking something else out. Whereas before, you know, the investment kind of made you take the time with it and go a little deeper. And everyone has songs that they didn't, weren't into initially that ended up growing on them. And, um, I think that although there are, are more artists that are getting exposure. I don't know that the exposure is necessarily as deep as it used to be. What do you feel about when people say that rock and roll lacks innovation now? Uh, so again, I, I think that that's just, that's kind of a change of, of labels um, and people not understanding the fluidity of rock or like they would have, they have kind of like a rigid understanding of what rock is. And one thing that I, that I noticed, um, that sort of set, set me off at, like it, it sort of threw up a red flag for me was uh, Robert Plant was having an interview, um, pretty recently. And, you know, people were asking him about the state of rock or whatever. And he's like, nobody has made a rock record since 1972 or something. And I was like, what, what are you, what is he even talking about? Like rock and roll has been around since, you know, the early sixties or even well before that, you know, a lot of people would argue, but his point was the rock that he grew up with and that he was a part of, no one is making, you know, exactly that kind of music anymore. And so for him, that was rock and roll and there was no evolution of it. And that just goes to show how stark, the differences in viewpoints can be like, you could be like Robert Plant and say like the rock literally died in 1972 and no one has ever made a rock song since, or you can take what is my kind of approach where, well, rock is, is pretty fluid. And if you think there's no innovation in rock anymore, then you just have a rigid idea of what rock is and you're not opening yourself to what the possibilities of rock could be. And I always question too what what defines evolution, you know, what defines innovation, right? I mean, you know, if you're talking innovation and you're talking about using auto-tune or if you're talking about using sampled music, how I mean, I don't understand the innovation in in that, right? I mean, I I think to me the innovation comes from playing and playing the instrument and and knowing the instrument and writing a good song. And the, the, the evolution is how you could be playing, you know, the, like, like for blues, you know, for, for example, a lot of people hear blues and they say, oh, all blues guitarists sound the same. You know, to the casual ear, yes, but if you really listen to the blues, no, it doesn't sound the same because it's all based on emotion and it's based on feeling and heart and maybe not the most technical you know, musicians are blues musicians, but they all have their different, you know, point of view and how they play the, play the instrument and how they play the song. So I think that is where that comes from, where, you know, people are, are hearing rock and they say, well, that sounds the same, but they're not really listening. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, no, I would definitely think that it's just like a lack of familiarity with, you know, what you're, what you're coming to understand. So like blues is a great example of, yeah, the first couple times you, all you're listening to are the scales and you're not listening to 
like the timbre of this of the notes you're just listening you just hear a, a simple chord progression and you think like oh this is the same as every other song but then you start to hear the differences in like the lyrical content and the voices and the like the tone of the guitars or whatever instrument you're playing the blues on and then the energy of it combined with you know the same qualities of the drums, the sound of it, the energy, the weight. Um, and then you start to notice there's, there's differences. So yeah, I, I mean, innovation is, is another term that's so hard to pin down. And it, does innovation just mean bringing in something different or does it mean bringing in something different that is beneficial in some way? Um, you know, different people take that differently. So, um, yeah, I think like what you define as innovation is again, just going to be subjective and it's going to come down to your taste. If something does, someone does something different that you think is cool. And I guess you could say that's innovative, but if someone does something different that you think, you know, hurts the genre, then I, you, you know, you wouldn't call that innovative. Um, but I think, what can be harmful or what can be interesting. Um, you know, the same thing could be harmful or interesting depending on who's looking at it. The new album is hidden gems out earlier this year. Uh, it comes in the year of 2021 where everyone is releasing music. Everyone, it seems like everybody and everyone is releasing great music too, as well. It seems like everybody's swinging for the fences as I've mentioned before on previous episodes. Putting this record together, what was the process and, and how did COVID affect how you recorded this album? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, 2021, everyone's coming out with music and, and releasing music. It's the biggest, the biggest festival lineups I think I've ever seen, ever. Uh, probably since, you know, Woodstock, when a lot of those artists were pretty unknown and you look back today and you're like, wow, how did someone get all of those artists together? Um, you know, you're having that with the, the biggest artists in the world. I saw, you know, I'm, I'm not like too much of a pop fan, um, but I saw a festival lineup where Miley Cyrus was on like line two. And I was like, how big is this festival that, well, she's one of the biggest pop stars in history. She's on line two of this festival. Um, this came off the heels of a year where nobody did anything and lots of people probably had music in their pockets and chose not to release it until they could see a future in the touring world. And that's exactly what our story was. And so I know we're not the only people, um, we recorded, we started recording these songs in the summer of 2019. We put out the lead single in October of 2019 uh, we put out a sing a second single in December of 2019, and then we finished the record in January of 2020 and hit the road right after. So we've been sitting on, you know, when you go back to the demo stage of this, at this point, it's almost been two years. Um, but, you know, the songs haven't seen the light of day. They've only been out for two months now. Um, and so it's funny because when we had this release, it was, it was exciting for us and, and we were very happy about it, but you know, we were also like locked down in our houses and kind of just like <laughs> hit midnight and it was like, okay, congrats to us. This, this album's out now. Um, but it was already in our eyes kind of old, you know, we had recorded it so long ago and still haven't played you know, the vast majority of those songs live and probably won't still for at least a few more months. So kind of a weird time to release. Um, I mean, it's definitely been the weirdest year in our lives. And for most people, that's been the weirdest year of their lives. So it kind of makes sense, but, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a wild landscape right now. Everyone's releasing amazing music because you, you have a lot of artists who were sitting on, good material that are now choosing to release it. And then you have other artists who took this time to make good material and then release it. And it's going to be the same thing with concerts, man. If you're a live music fan, this is going to be probably the the best year of your life coming up. Um, 
because everyone is going to be going on tour at the same time. And it's, you know, from a band's perspective, it's going to be super competitive and everyone's got to bring their A game. And I, I, I think the, the industry is going to have a big boom because of it. Plus, it's going to be an expensive year for a lot of music fans, too, as well. Yeah, if you're a live music fan, it is going, you're going to pay some cash. That's for sure. Yeah. No B- bankruptcy attorneys are going to be very popular at the oh, uh, yeah. at the end of this year and early next year. And they're going to look yep. through people's, you know, their clients' uh, financials, and they're going to see concert tickets and, and, and music that they're buying. So um, <laughs> when you look back at the album, the recording process, and, and, and sitting on this album, and then the decision to release it earlier this year, with still you know not a lot of clarity in terms of concerts and touring, why, I mean, why release it then instead of just kind of waiting on it a little bit more? I think we were just kind of so anxious. Like we, I, I think we at first didn't even want to postpone our plans. We, we had a plan to release it in the summer of 2020. And at first we were like, why would we, you know, why would we let this change things? Why wouldn't we just, um, put it out when people are at home and looking for something to do and no one's really releasing new music. It's kind of seems like a good time to release an album. Um, but we held off thinking that like, we'll promote it better with touring. It kind of deserves to have its own day in the, uh, day in the spotlight. But, um, yeah, we just kind of started to get anxious. Like we don't want to wait too much longer. Um, we want to, we, we have this stuff out. We want to get to writing a new record. Um, and so why, like, let's just, let's just do this and then we can promote it along the way. And when we get to touring, we'll give it another promotion cycle. But you know, it's like, you never want the business side of that sort of stuff to drive the art. Um, and I mean, like we, we always just like turn off that like marketing side uh, whenever we get into the studio. Um, but we were just like so happy to have this thing and, and it just didn't feel right sitting on it any longer. We just needed to get it out into the world. With everything that's gone on in the world and having this music recorded prior to that, um, in terms of still being able to connect with it, I mean, was that, is that a challenge for you guys? Because obviously, you know, you're you're seeing all these things and reality is what it is. And you've got this music that's awesome. The album is fantastic. But in terms of just being the artist, you know, has there been, you know, uh, an urge for you guys to create more music during the pandemic that kind of fits with where your mind was and where reality is? Yeah, I think now we're coming around to that, but to be honest, for the, for a long time, we were, things were so different, um, that I think we got out of the habit and the cycle that we were in of, you know, like making music and playing shows and taking a lot, spending a lot of time on our band. And we just kind of like reset in a weird way. And to be honest, lost a lot of motivation. I remember Park and I, we liked to game, um, play video games a lot. And I remember just having, we were like gaming one night, having a candid conversation of like, I, I don't really have any motivation to work on this stuff. And I don't know why. Um, maybe it's just because we're not living in it as much as we used to. Um, and so we just kind of got out of it, but I think now we're starting to come around to like, we're writing demos again and starting to ignite the flame. We're talking about booking shows. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, revving things up again. So I think we're back at it, but no, for, for, to be honest, for a long time, we were like, we stepped away from it and it was good to get that space. Um, but yeah, we, we, we were really actually unmotivated. (laughs) So it's, it's kind of ironic. I don't know. I, I think artists have had either one or the other. I know, um, some of our friends have written like three to five albums worth of music in the last year. Um, just because they've had the time. And I think there's a lot of others that were like, no, I need, I'm taking the break, I'm taking the forced sabbatical and uh, just kind of stepping away from this for a little bit. I have talked to a few musicians who have felt the same way. You know, my conversation with Richie Cotton, you know, the guitar player, you know, said that same thing. You know, he was used to this cycle that was tour, write music, release music, tour, write music, release music. And it was an ongoing cycle that was going on for 
you know, decade plus. And, you know, for him to kind of finally catch his breath um, and realize that he did need the rest um, was a positive for him. Now, that's not saying that it's a positive for everybody because, you know, loss of income was was big for a lot of artists, uh, you know, going through this and not being able to tour and make any money so that there's a struggle there. How did you, you know, you talked about getting out of that cycle. How did you reset that? How were you able to kind of get back into it? Was it slow and gradual or was it just, you know, flick the switch and, and get yourself back on the horse? I think after we released the album, it was like, okay, we have nothing on the horizon. Um, and, and for a long time leading up, we were like, you know, working on different kinds of like promotion for the, for the album and uh, just so focused on getting that thing released and trying to like give it as much of a push as we could that when we finally finished the push, we were like, okay, well what now? And what do we do next? Um, and you know, the obvious answer was just write new music and, and get that process started. Um, so it was, it was, it was kind of a, it was a little bit of circumstance that pushed us to, to get back into writing. Um, but then also, you know, just like looking at the horizon again, like we, we do have shows coming up or we at least know that we're going to have stuff. Um, probably in the fall, we have aftershock at least announced in the fall. And then we're working on some other stuff, um, for the fall and, and sort of winter. Um, and we just need to be ready for that with some new music. So, as far as the, yeah, as far as the album goes, how did you or what do you think was the biggest evolution as artist for you on this album from the you know from the follow up album or from the first debut mm-hmm. album rather? Yeah, so I mean, this was the first album that we really like created as professional musicians. Um, the last album was you know we wrote it in between going to, you know, university classes and working, you know, night shifts and, um, just kind of like squirreling away time when we could to drive up to Toronto and, and record a little bit and then go back home. And this record was like, you know, we spent two dedicated weeks in a studio doing nothing but writing and recording music. Um, and so that kind of leap took us into we got into a lot more like the details of the music because you have the time to sit there and orient yourself um to dig into the finer points of songwriting as opposed to you know the way we were doing it before was like okay get to the studio okay settle in for a little bit then start recording um and then almost as soon as you're set up and recorded it's time to like get out of there and, and go back to a totally different lifestyle um and then do it again the next time you needed to record so settling in and really just like planting our feet and not thinking about anything else for two weeks was refreshing and just gave us a totally different way to approach the craft um and I think that came out in the in the the depth of the music. Um, the songs weren't quite as like quote unquote simple uh, as the last album, um, and, and there's a lot of different layers to it. And I think that's that's a product of just kind of focusing on it for an extended period of time. Was there, you know, in, in terms of the music that you guys have on the album, you know, was the creative process? process pretty much 50 50 with you guys or were you guys bringing in separate ideas or you know w- because that you had those two weeks were the, were these songs that you wrote during those during those sessions or prior to those sessions uh no yeah so the like Tarek is definitely the songwriter of the two um and then once he has something as an idea i'll start to flush out drums or you know give my opinion on other sort of like progressions or arrangement choices and stuff. Um, but we were also, our producer lent a lot to the creative process this time. We, um, Paul Meany was the, was the producer on this album. And, you know, he's, he's produced a lot of different music lately. Um, he's probably best known for producing 21 pilots, but 
we actually know him as the lead singer of a band called Mute Math um, that we've seen many, many times in, in concert. Um, they're not a band anymore, but um, we always just liked that style and they were a major influence on us. So when you know we connected with him and he agreed to produce the record, we were over the moon. And he's a very hands-on producer. Um, so we went to his house in New Orleans again in summer of 2019 to workshop a lot of demos that we had. Um, and so he helped sort of shape a lot of that, a lot of that music and introduce things like pulling in samples onto songs. It was something we never did or knew how to do. Like I never knew how to, you know, dumpster dive a, a sample. And he just kind of like has an ear for that and knows how to throw it in tastefully. Um, and he did a great job of, of kind of like helping us take these songs to the next level as it was um, and introduce a lot of those layers. So yeah, we, we went into the studio with every knowing every song that we were going to record. We didn't know exactly um you know, how they would shape up as opposed to the demos. And a lot of the songs did change dramatically from, you know, the demos that we went into the studio with to the final product that we left with. Um, but yeah, we did know the songs that we were going to record when we went in there. And having though, that time and you just focus on the music, you know, where do you find when you listen back at Hidden Gems, what do you hear as the biggest noticeable difference because of that? Um, you mean like as a, as opposed to the, the first record? Yes. Yeah. Um, definitely. Again, there's, there was just some kind of like raw simplicity, which I think is, is still great in its own way. Um, that the first record black holes had, um, it was just, you know, Tarek and I recording some riff rock, a lot of like garage influence stuff. Um, very simply, it was Tarek and I in the same room. Um, he was he would record the rhythm guitar at the same time that I was recording the the drum beds, and um, then we would just like layer some simple stuff over top of that. Nothing too crazy. Um, and I th- again, I think that was the product of just needing to to be efficient and get in and get out in order to make a record. And this time, we had the luxury of time and and being able to experiment. And so I think when you have the time to like experiment on stuff, you end up, I remember there was a couple, couple of songs where we were experimenting with different guitar tones and different like organs. And there was a point where we were like testing seven or nine different snares um, different snare sounds and it was like well all of these sound good why can't we just kind of like have them all um, and then you run into a problem of needing to eliminate stuff instead of you know not having time to add it and uh, I think that was kind of the difference maker um, in how we ended up having sort of like a bigger sound and, and more more expansive sound on this record as we close here and as things become a little bit more clear and how people are going to move forward and how we're all going to move forward, you mentioned the festivals in the fall. Are you guys anticipating setting up a tour to start in the fall and go into 2022? Um, I don't really know when we're going to start. I mean, we're trying, we're trying to set up tour dates right now. Um, I don't necessarily know when that's going to be. I know, I know we are looking at some stuff that are more like deeper into 2022 into like spring of 22. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if we can put something together, everyone's itching at this point. So whenever, whenever we can do that, we're going to be able to, whenever we can hit the road, we're going to basically. Well, Justin, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate, uh, you know, sitting down with me and talking with me about the new album, hidden gems. It's a fantastic record. And uh, I look forward to more music from you guys in the future. Thanks, dude. Really appreciate it. All right, everybody. That's Justin Tessier from The Blue Stones. Their new album, Hidden Gems, is available everywhere. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Once again, please like and subscribe wherever you podcast. Write us a review and check us out. Check out all of our previous episodes. 
Have a great weekend. Have a great Memorial Day. And we will certainly talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.